You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I pray at this time that ultimately not my words, uh, but Jesus, your Son, your living word would go forth, take root in our hearts and bring in our hearts and our lives the salvation which is found in you. All this I ask and offer now in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I begin with words which may be familiar to you. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. Those are the words from the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, the first chapter, uh, Habakkuk wastes no time in bringing um, his question before God. Why, God? Um, how long? Why do you look upon this uh, and not act Habakkuk was a prophet in the seventh century, uh, speaking to the violence of the world around him. We hear this portion of the gospel this morning in these nine short verses, we hear the word from the first century. Why does violence um, persist? And certainly violence is something that we know in our own day as well. Uh, like the rest of you, I, I look um, at the news every evening and every morning, of course, particularly now with the uh, war that is going on in the Ukraine. And of course, uh, the realization is, is not only the, the, the violence uh, in this particular moment and, and the effects of that violence going on in other parts of the world as well, but of course, violence is not just out there, it's, it's here um, in our own country and it's here in our own hearts also, is it not? Uh, the way in which we nurse anger and grudges and resentments uh, toward other people, the way that we um, visit violence upon one another and the relationships in our lives, not just overtly, um, but subtly as well. Because when we withdraw, when we become cold, when we become distant, when we withdraw our, our love, uh, our blessing, um, our fellowship uh, from the people around us, it's, it's a more subtle, but it's no less a form um, of, of violence. We are familiar with violence. I, uh, maybe on a lighter note, my wife Paula is a 4K teacher. And if you question whether violence is an innate part of the human condition, spend 60 seconds on the playground. Um, and, and that will be um, confirmed because out on the playground, you know, someone looks at someone the wrong way. Someone brushes uh, against someone. Someone is there first. Violence is right at the edge of any particular moment in those situations. And not only that, but if you, you hear the joyful voices and the sweet faces as they run, but if you watch them as they're chasing a ball, again, the joyful voices, these youthful faces, but then suddenly you'll see one hip check the other one and send them to the ground. And it's not just that, but you'll see the look of delight um, cross their face um, as, as their friend falls. Um, we, 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 we know... Um, violence and the people of Jesus' day are asking him, "What about the tower? Um, what about the tower of Siloam that fell upon the people and they were killed? 
What about the blood uh, of the Galileans that was mingled with their sacrifices as the despot Pilate um, sent his troops in and they were slaughtered um, in the midst of their sacrifice? Um, we know about violence in our lives. We know about violence in our world. And wonderfully, um, we have before us today the gracious response of God. But the challenge in the gracious response of God is, is the way that God more often chooses to operate, the way that God chooses to bless our lives, the way God chooses to act uh, is not um, sudden, uh, but it's gracious. Uh, it is ongoing. It, it, at times, it's hard to perceive it at first. God seems inordinately more patient um, than we are. And Jesus, in response to their questions, what about these people that suffered in this way? He asked them the question, of course, do you think that these people were greater sinners than all the others? And of course, the answer is, is no. When we, when we see suffering, we, we often want to, even if we don't like to admit it, assign some blame to the person um, for their suffering. And we see in this moment, Jesus dismisses the idea of karma, that people get um, what they deserve, that, that bad people get bad things and good people um, get good things. Jesus wipes the slate clean uh, and in essence says, no one is worthy. There is not a one worthy. And the gracious part about that is it has the opportunity to drive you and me to a dependence upon grace, to a dependence upon God's grace, which will not let us down. Human performance, whether yours or mine or anyone else's, human performance will let us down. But God's grace um, is sufficient and will not let us down. And he begins to tell a story he begins to tell a parable about a man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And we hear that he came looking for fruit upon that fig tree, but found none. The fig tree was not doing what it was supposed to do. Uh, it was not producing um, fruit. And what is the recommendation of the master of the garden? Violence. Cut it down. It's wasting space. Cut it down. Um, get rid of it. Um, the, the response of the world um, to solving problems is, is so often a quick response. It's a, it's a violent response. Interestingly, as Jesus and his disciples, we find them now, they're in between Galilee and Jerusalem. They're in the country of Samaria, the enemies um, of the Israelites. Uh, and as they are making their way, Jesus, of course, says that he will be rejected and that he will be killed. Uh, and he says, however, that this is going to be the means um, of our deliverance. This is going to be the means of our peace. This is going to be the means of our hope. But if you remember, as they're beginning their journey um, on the way, um, they come to a Samaritan village that does not receive them. Uh, and James and John, two of Jesus's closest followers, um, they, have a, they have a wonderful plan that they suggest to Jesus when they are not received by the Samaritan village. The village says to them, you know what? We, we don't like your kind of people here. Uh, and you are not welcome. And James and John in their most Christian response say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? <laughs> that's, that's, their, that's their suggestion. And Jesus says, wait, <laughs> wait. And Jesus tells this story again of a, of a fig tree not doing what it's supposed to do. It's not, it's not producing fruit. And, and, and the owner uh, has a right to be frustrated. It's been three years. It's been three years. Surely 
we should see some change by now. Surely we should see uh, some fruit. As I think about my own life, um, <laughs> I'm grateful that the people in my life have given me more than three years um, to show progress uh, and fruit um, in my own life. And of course, there's the suggestion once again, you know what we need to do? You know what will fix this situation? Violence. Uh, we need to cut it down. We need to tear it out. It's wasting space. We need to put something in place that's productive. And we hear that the gardener makes intercession um, for the tree. Wait, let me, let me dig around it. Let me loosen the dirt around it. Let me go um, to the root uh, and put manure um, around it. And the challenge uh, often, I think, for you and for me in the way that God's grace works in, in our lives and the lives of those around us and the life of the world is it is often initially imperceptible. Uh, and it is slow moving, but it works in a way that is lasting. Uh, manure, uh, it's basically the imagery of death and resurrection, isn't it? Sown down into the soil to the root um, of our lives, the places that need most, that healing, that restoration, that direction, sowing um, that manure down at the root in such a way that the, in an almost invisible way, um, it can begin to nourish and bring life uh, and ultimately um, bring fruit. The examples which Jesus gives about the way that God's grace works are, are often quiet uh, and they're often um, slow moving and, and yet, what we see is that they are lasting. The word spoken uh, of the fig tree is a word spoken to you and to me of the graciousness uh, of God, the slowness with which God often works in our lives because of his love for you and for me. And Jesus invites his listeners and invites you and me to a life that is a life of repentance. And I wanna say a word about that because repentance is a beautiful and glorious thing, but it's a word which has been hijacked in our moment and in our culture. Because when we hear repentance, uh, what, are the, what are the thoughts that, that come to your mind? What are the thoughts of the culture around us when they hear the word uh, repentance? And, and we may think feeling um, uh, tremendously remorse and sorrowful for our actions and, and, and wallowing um, in that, but, but that doesn't bring, uh, that doesn't bring change um, to our lives. Uh, it, feeling remorse can often be a, a good uh, and gracious thing, but, but repent doesn't mean to, to, to wallow uh, in feelings of worthlessness. Or perhaps repent uh, in the world around us is conceived as a, basically as a word of judgment and self-righteousness. Um, people sending out a word of condemnation and judgment, people who don't practice what they preach, uh, who will call me to repentance, um, but if we peel back the layers of their lives, we see that that word which they direct toward others is not received in their own life. But that's, that's not um, what Jesus means when he uses that word repentance and that invitation to repentance. What repent, the original word is metanoia, uh, and that's something you probably know, you've probably heard before, the, the word is metanoia, and what that word translated repentance, metanoia, means is to change one's mind. It means to change one's mind, to change one's mind about the nature and character of God and to change one's mind um, about our own nature and character. And at its most fundamental level, um, repentance isn't perfection, repentance isn't behavior modification, Repentance is the recognition that we are people in need of a savior uh, and that Jesus is that savior. <laughs> 
That's as, as basic as that, the recognition um, that we are unable um, to save ourselves and we need someone from outside of us to step into our lives to reconcile us, to forgive us, um, and, and to save us. That wonderful hymn we sang a moment ago, Rock of Ages, uh, nothing um, to this uh, life I bring, simply to thy, to thy cross I cling. Uh, that is the, the, the basic and the fundamental message of repentance. And rather than destroying us, it actually gives us life. It actually gives us hope. Because imagine life without the opportunity for repentance. Imagine a life that doesn't give you the opportunity to change your mind. Imagine a life that doesn't give you the opportunity to change um, your direction. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, is there anything in your life or in your relationships today that you would like to change? I'm assuming that's a yes, um, that there's something in your life, that there's something in the relationships around you that you would like to change. And let me ask you, how effective have you been changing it on your own? How have your efforts worked out to change your family members um, or change your friends or change uh, your spouse or change your colleagues or change <laughs> your, your boss? Uh, my guess is they haven't been terribly effective, and, but we have the angel of change in the person and in the work uh, of Jesus Christ. It begins uh, talking about the Galileans whose blood is mingled, and what we will see is that in the willing sacrifice of Jesus, through his blood, Jesus will defeat um, that cycle of violence. Yes, it, uh, it, it rages on in the world around us, but it has been judged and the antidote has been given. Uh, and the same for yours and my life as well. What might that look like in our lives? And I wanna share a, a brief portion uh, from Miroslav Volf's uh, book, The End of Memory, Remembering Rightly in a Violent World. And um, particularly timely, uh, in the fall of 1983, Volf was a, a citizen of, of what was then Yugoslavia. And it was a, uh, it was a time and place in which um, the men within that country still had a year of required military service. And Volf's time came up and he was called um, into service. And unfortunately for Volf, he had basically every strike against him that he could have against him in that particular moment. And that, uh, that Soviet bloc and that communist country, uh, Volf's father had been a Christian and a pastor and had often been um, surveilled and persecuted during his life. Volf had married a Westerner um, he had studied theology in the West. He himself um, was a pastor. He wrote his dissertation on Karl Marx, for goodness sake. So um, he had every strike against him, and they were sure that he was an enemy of the state. Uh, and during this year of uh, military service, uh, the commander of his regiment, whom he refers to as Captain G, would not only had all of his fellow um, soldiers watching him and spying upon him, but he would regularly bring him in for interrogation. And he would say to him, I know that you're an enemy of the state. Uh, I know that you are a traitor. Go ahead and confess it. If you confess, we'll go easier on you. But if you don't confess, we're going to lock you away. Uh, and you'll never see your wife um, and your family again. So you can imagine the, the, the weight of that uh, on him during that, that year. And I'm sure that that year felt like a million years. 
And wonderfully, that, that did not come to fruition, but there was still the, the, the scar, the impact of that in his, in his mind and in his soul. And he, and he both writes that what he did was what most of us tend to do. Um, he, he couldn't go back in time and fix that. Um, and so he just simply sought to forget it, to, to push it to the recesses of his mind and his memory and forget about it. But as so often happens for us, he, he couldn't forget it. And in moments when it was unwelcome, it would appear um, in his mind. And, and that's something that you probably, uh, well, I think we can all be familiar with that. It's, it's something you don't want to remember, a, a hurt, an injustice, a, a violence uh, done to us that we want to uh, forget, but that, that, but that comes up uh, again and again. And, and in the book, Wolf talks about his various efforts and approaches um, to trying to deal with this in his memory, because one of the things he rightly notes, Christianity doesn't ask us to call wrong right. And it doesn't ask us to be people who are without feelings. Um, and yet we're called to be people who follow um, Jesus and who draw from that well. So what does that look like? And he, and he writes this, to act as a human being is to honor feelings, even the thirst for revenge, but it is also to follow moral requirements stitched by God into the fabric of our humanity. And he goes on and he, he writes this, um, he writes this about Captain, uh, he writes this about Captain G. Um, And there we go. My bookmark moved, and I'd love to say, but I'm the only one who's held this book. Um, so it was me, but he goes on to say in this, uh, he goes on to say this, uh, talking about evil in our lives and violence um, in our lives and all the hurts and, and resentments. But he writes this, he says, triumph fully. Evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated the second victory when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. In my own situation, I could do nothing about the first victory of evil, but I could prevent the second. Captain G would not mold me into his image. Instead of returning evil for evil, I would heed the Apostle Paul and try to overcome evil with good, Romans 12, 21. After all, I myself, and this is, this is crucial. He writes this, after all, I myself had been redeemed by the God who in Christ died for the redemption of the ungodly. And so once again, now in relation to Captain G, I started walking and stumbling in the footsteps of the enemy loving God. What does it look like for God to loosen the dirt uh, around the root of our lives? What does it look like for him to sow the manure of his grace, um, that, that slow-moving and yet life-giving um, work? It's in the realization of, of who we are and how we stand before God, and yet the profound patience and mercy and graciousness uh, of God, who though we were living as enemies, um, sought us to forgive us, to reconcile us, to give us his grace and his mercy. And wonderfully, he notes as well, what does it look like? Imperfection. 
he understandably grappled with, with myriad of, uh, emotions and, and he swung on the full spectrum. Uh, but those words, I started walking and stumbling in the footsteps of the enemy loving God. And, and may I say, how was that made possible? Not by our efforts, but the work of the grace of God in our lives and our recognition of our need and the recognition of Jesus as a savior, God's grace and his mercy are visited upon us, not just in a superficial way, but down to the very root and core of our lives and begins to work in a way um, that brings to us freedom. And as we hear that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks that um, you make known to us that um, the, the efforts and opportunities um, to compare ourselves uh, on the sin scale with others is futile. And you and your grace and mercy send Jesus, your son, that your grace and forgiveness might be poured out upon us. Um, help us to see um, how greatly you have loved and forgiven us and allow the power of that to shape and fashion our lives. All this we ask and offer in the name of your son, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.